Educators Amplified, the podcast. Educators Amplified, Educators Amplified, where we amplify educators' voice, amplify students' experience, amplify well-being, amplify hope, amplify what's really going on in our public schools, amplify solutions to restore the education profession, amplify new possibilities. I'm Joanna. And I'm Hallie. We see you. We hear you. We are you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Educators Amplified, episode number 15. We're excited, but this is Hallie Schmeling coming on here quick, one of the co-hosts of the podcast. And I have two things that I wanted to say before we start with our guest. So first of all, we want you and your participation. We have a question posted up on social media. So you can go to Educators Amplified, whether that's on Facebook or Instagram, or you could email us at our email, which is educatorsamplified at gmail.com. No spaces, no dots. Um, But we want you to answer this question. If you could wave a magic wand and make your biggest challenge with an education disappear, what would it be? So think about that or let it be just snap of the finger. What comes to you first? So I'm asking educators, supporters of education, whomever's listening to our podcast right now, log on to social media or log on to your email and let us know if you could wave a magic wand, right? If magic wands exist in you and you could make the biggest challenge that you see with an education disappear, what would it be? You can comment, you can DM, however, just let us know. I am really curious. I know Joanna's really curious. We want to know, like, what are are people out here wishing could disappear? So please, please, please answer that when you have a second. My second order of business before we start is I just wanted to give a little bit of an introduction to who we've got on. I love listening to our guest. Um, I love his wealth of knowledge And I really hope you all do too. This is a jam-packed episode with tons of information from none other than Ted Craig. Um, His job solely is to advocate for public school employees. And I think that's really like, uh, that's an amazing title. Um, So right, his official, official title though, is he's the WEAC Region 7 Uniserve Director. So let me break that down. Ted Craig he, his title is he works with WEAC, which, right, is, is the Wisconsin Education Association Council, a.k.a. the Wisconsin Teachers Union. He works within Region 7, which is essentially southeast Wisconsin or the southeast part of the state and or like the suburbs around Milwaukee. And he's a Uniserve director, which essentially he is our point person. So, you know, me being involved in my local union, I can work with Ted for help um, on all sorts of things, which he'll talk about within this episode. But I just wanted to kind of give that clarity before we go into the episode. But again, I really hope you guys are going to totally dig what he's all got to say. I 
I really, I I mesmerized listening to him. So I really hope all of you just learn a ton from him. And I think this is a really vital episode, whether you are in education or a supporter of education, you know, in or out of the profession, because he just can break it all down. He can just see it. And he's got like a understanding of what's been going on in education for at least 10 years now, and especially in Wisconsin. So let us know what you think about hearing from Ted too, but I'll stop talking. So let's get into the episode. Enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to Educators Amplified. Very excited for our guest. Now, this guest is a rock, right? <laughs> a rock. I you were going to say a us. rock star as well. well that too. <laughs> He's a rock and a rock star uh, for those of us who yes. are working in Region 7. That's the truth. So, we have with us today um, Ted Craig one of our WEAC Region 7 Uniserve directors. So welcome to Educators Amplified, Ted. Glad to be here. I, I, I don't appreciate being called a rock star, but <laughs> I'll put up with it. Oh my gosh. Well, you have groupies out here. Um, <laughs> but because you are just well-respected, yes, yes. always available, um, and really been with us for a long, you know, I know since since we've gotten very active to the point that now we have this podcast, you've been by our side mm-hmm. and you've been a, a great supporter and lifting us up. And it's just a, it's a fantastic partnership. And so if you would start out, Ted, by just maybe introducing yourself and explaining a little bit of technically what your role is, because I know the job description doesn't say rock, rock star. Um, (laughs) So if you would, please introduce yourself and explain a little bit about your job. Yeah. So just to start with, I fancy myself more as a behind the scenes person than than a rock star. I think you guys are the rock stars, as it should be, and you truly are rock stars. But what a Uniserve director is for people who don't know Basically, it's a staff person who helps the local associations and the members to achieve whatever they want to achieve. So the history here goes back to the late 60s, early 70s, where educators and support staff were starting to get really organized and have uh, get recognized and bargain. And um, every association, which is great because you're all these tremendous monetary organizations, was too small to employ its own staff people. So the South Milwaukee Education Association and the Wauwatosa Education Association weren't big enough, like say Milwaukee or Madison is, to to have like a, a staff to help them. So this was all organized where basically groups of locals came together to employ staff to help people do whatever it is they want to do. And that's changed over the years tremendously. But fundamentally, the way I see it is my job and I work with a bunch of local associations uh, in K-12 and in tech colleges, my job is to help you get organized to do whatever you want to do. So an ideal circumstance, uh, the members are running the show, and I'm just somebody who is able to help with things like I know how to analyze the finances of a school district and see whether it's true they have no money, because every employer says they have no money. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people's legal rights. So if their FMLA rights are being violated, or they're being having their contract terminated without cause, that's something I can help with. Because I work with a whole bunch of different locals, and I have colleagues who work with a whole bunch of different locals around the state, I also tend to know the lay of the land and can help locals connect with each other 
Because in my experience, you learn the most and do the best when you're talking with each other across locals because you have common experiences with your employers and frankly, almost identical issues as far as wanting to get adequate compensation to stay in the profession, uh, having some kind of reasonable work-life balance and having some control as a professional right over what you're doing. So uh, yeah, I just exist to help you do that in, in any way possible. And to be really honest, I'm nothing special, but because I've been doing this for a while, I learned some things, right? And I'm able mm-hmm. to, to bring those to the table. Yeah. Quick question. You just said, how long have you done this? I started working with WEAC in 2007. So okay. it's going on 16 years with WEAC. And before that, I represented nurses and health professionals with SEIU. So I've been doing it a while. I got into this actually in 1996. I became a union organizer and worked with United Food and Commercial Workers. So Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. That's that longevity. So let me break this down. So a local organization is a group of teachers. The group of teachers in a district, in a school, are going to be like, we want to come together because, right, it's a strength in numbers concept of like, it's better for us all to work together for better working conditions than to go individually. Mm-hmm. So we get together and we're like, okay, we're going to organize And then with that, we can pay into or like the union dues of working with WEAC, who Mm -hmm. specializes in education and law and all of that stuff within it. So then if I decide that I want to be part of that, then we'd contact WEAC and WEAC would give us someone like you, Ted, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're assigned to that region. So then we have that legal support, that perspective, you know, because, right, my day job is teaching children. It's not understanding Mm -hmm. education law or understanding funding, you know, because that's a whole nother bag. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I can work with someone like you, Ted, with my with my other coworkers. And then above that, you know, so then it's WEAC, but then. You know, there's obviously bigger stuff going on statewide in WEAC. Mm -hmm. And then above that, there's still NEA, which is the National Education Association, who is nationally working to help education. So you're in that tier of helping people within their districts and offering that expertise. Yeah. So that's why we say you're a rock star. Because... Because I don't want to know all the stuff you know. So I appreciate that you can help us. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to go back to some of the things that you just talked about. And, you know, you said that your job is to help, you know, with whatever members or staff need help with. What are, what is an example of what someone is needing help with, like right now, maybe both an individual and a group. Yeah. So let me give you an example of the group. So one of the things happening is that many local associations are starting to get to the bargaining table. And as you know, at the bargaining table right now in the Act 10 era, technical bargaining rights are rather limited just to an inflationary increase. And that number is 8% for next year. Isn't that wild how that has been like all over the place? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was 0.12% one year. Right. Right. Yeah, now it's 8%. And, you know, 8%, a lot of districts are going to balk and say, we can't afford that. So, like, one of the things I'm doing is I work with a whole bunch of different local associations 
is coordinating with the local associations, right? So right before this call, I was on a call with a local association saying, where are you at in bargaining? And can we make sure we coordinate so that you don't settle in a way that undermines other locals, right? Who are trying to get a decent deal. And, you know, the conversation was great. They said, yeah, we're going to wait to any, we're not going to take any lowball settlement. We see no reason not to coordinate actually and wait until people who can get better deals settle first, right? So that'd be an example we're working as a group. And so having someone like me who works regularly with all the locals, has a relationship, can help a lot to actually coordinate our bargaining so that we settle with the strongest districts first, so then we can point to those when we're in the next level of districts, right, and so on, so that we coordinate effectively. So that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing I can help with with groups. I also help groups a lot of times where if there's an issue, like a couple of examples are just like extreme workload where people, there's no work-life balance, people are just leaving, or uh, to be honest, people getting hurt by students, that's happening more and more, right? Then I'm kind of more in an organizer role where because I've worked with a lot of groups and I know people's rights and how they can advocate for themselves, let's come together and talk about what our solution is, what we want to push management to do and how we want to go about it, right? Who do we talk to? How do we move them? So a lot of it's organizing and we're working with groups. When working with individuals, a lot of times, like right now is what we call non-renewal season. Management has until April 30 to tell somebody, we're not bringing you back. You don't get a contract for next year. And so right now we get all those. And I help people like either to fight those off or to go to the school board if they want to. And very few want to go and have the fight before the school board, unfortunately, or to get out uh, and with a clean slate, right? So that they will not get a bad reference and they can get another job. So that's the kind of individual thing that keeps us very busy, especially at this time of year. So what I think is interesting, like, obviously, again, I have I have some background here, but I actually was just listening to you right now from a frame of like, let's say I didn't. And I would be like, hey, wait, a teacher works in a district like isn't that their employer? But then they need all this help from this outside association because because, you know, and I think that's something I hope that our listeners are picking up on. I always feel the unique angles of this profession from small things to, like I said, how my husband just goes to work and has like food provided for him or they pay for him to travel or, you know, there's all these tax write-offs versus I belong to this profession and I'm in it with millions of other people in this country in various school districts And yet it seems like as the profession, some of what I think are the basics or other people would be like, of course, your employer is going to work in this way or handle that doesn't happen. One of the good things about NEA affiliates and WEAC is that the local associations are really strong And that's where, in many ways, kind of like, that's the center of the union is what's going on in the local associations, more so than other unions that I've worked for. So when Act 10 hit, it it did a lot of damage, as we know. We're not nearly as strong as we were, just to be totally honest. But our opponents, the people who want Wisconsin to turn into Alabama, really assumed that by this point, there would be no more teacher or support staff associations. They assumed it would be gone. And the reason it's not is because of of people like you, right, who have a strong local culture and a togetherness, right, a unity. 
to stay organized and push for what you value and what your interests are. So that's the really the strength of the organization. And what I think NEA is built on is really local associations like yours. And as you pointed out, I mean, I think you're the rock stars because what you're doing is largely voluntary, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you are essentially volunteering to, to have a really strong organization with a lot of clout locally. And any organization is going to look and say, okay, what kind of resources do we need to succeed? And so you're going to have people, you know, at the regional and state level, right, who can help with whatever you need to do. So, I mean, I hope that's understandable, people. Yeah. It, 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 you know, the administrators, they're organized. A lot of people don't know this, right? I mean, they have their associations, and those associations meet and talk and coordinate all the time and have staff resources. And they certainly lobby at the state level for the things they want. And so it's logical if you have a profession that's worth anything, right, where where you're trying to accomplish something like really equitable and great schools for kids, you're going to have be part of, right, a state and national organization that works for that in addition to what you're doing locally around things like my workload and fair treatment and what you get paid, right? Okay, so let me just break something down that you just said. So teachers have a teaching associate, teachers association, Mm-hmm. Principals have a administrator association. Mm-hmm. Superintendents have an association. Mm-hmm. School board has an association. Mm-hmm. So all of these layers have an association. To clarify, Act 10, did they go after, did they try to break all the associations that I just listed? No, they only, I mean, you're, you're right on Act 10 was... It was a conspiracy to take political power, really for right-wing corporate interests. And they saw you, they saw educators um, as their number one enemy, right? And we could talk all day about why they (laughs) saw educators and their organization as enemy number one, but that's what this was designed to do. And of course, they undermine the associations of a lot of other public employees too, but I think the crosshairs was really on educators um, because they have an agenda that's different from the agenda of frontline educators, of people who work with our kids. Again, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not aware of any targeting that was done of school board associations or superintendent associations or anything like that. And as you know, there's a lot of, well, I, I don't know their irony is the right word, but for a lot of these associations, for say the superintendents, and there's a business manager organization and an HR director organization, mm-hmm. for a lot of those organizations, the, the district pays their dues. Mm-hmm. So the community pays the dues for those people to be part of their organizations, but they don't do that for the frontline educators. And that says a lot to me about why people need to be organized. Right now, my view is, and we talk a lot about this, and this is what your whole show is about, I feel like there's an attitude towards schools that they should be run like a factory in the 19th century or something, where, you know, there are these overseers, you know, overlooking the grunts on the floor, right, doing the work, and, you know, management has all the power, and you just do what you're told. And I think when people get organized, they understand we're professionals, that's not the way it should work, that's not effective for our kids, and there are interests that want to stop that. You know, that they just see the world very differently than we do. Can I ask, I always love talking to you because of your like technical knowledge. But on that, like what you were just saying. So you're like, right, these view us as like grunts on the floor or whatever. 
How do you see educators? How would you describe us and the way that we work? What I see in education is there's a lot of like incredibly effective people who really care about the kids and have the relationships with the kids and the families. And I hate to say it, but I feel like a lot of the good things that teachers do, they're doing like despite the system. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard. I'm sure you've heard it too. Well, my principal was gone at a conference all week. The school ran better than it ever has before. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, again, and they're good people who are principals, right? I don't want to just run them all down uniformly, but um, I think it, it, that there's so much creativity and passion and joy in teaching. And the biggest problem I constantly hear about is like, uh, I wish I could just do that, right? But instead, mm-hmm. there's all this stuff coming from on high to make people like um, conform to some sort of program to mm-hmm. generate certain kinds of data. And that's making teaching really unenjoyable. And you're seeing a lot of people who are just frustrated and burned out and increasingly cynical mm-hmm. among teachers. So that, that's so, my perception. Well, thank you. And though, but really, so like, right, I know that part of, you know, as a former leader, whatever, you and I, like you said, literally been working on all kinds of stuff. And so like one of the things we worked on was like negotiations Mm -hmm. and really analyzing a school budget and deciding like what could be where. And so what would you say about that in terms of like, I'm trying to get to some specific skills you see teachers take on or absorb this information quickly to come up with a plan How do you think, you know, like, do you think we take to, and I know this is generalizing, but I really am curious, again, I want to get more into like, what do you see as specific skills we bring to this whole process? So yes, I want to be, you know, first and foremost, I'm there to be a teacher and that's what I want to do. But I, part of the goal of this show is to demonstrate that we bring a whole lot more to the entire enterprise of education and because we're in these systems like we're not we're not able to offer that or it's not considered part of it so i'm trying to pull from you what are these specific skills that you see teachers bring to the table in like a negotiation or in defending a coworker? yeah no that's a great question i mean my perception is, and and as I mentioned earlier, I've worked with a lot of different kinds of employees, including professionals, right, to to be organized and have representation and so on. And teachers bring a huge diversity of talents. I mean, you've got people who are really articulate and thoughtful, who can really frame, you know, how to make an argument and figure out what's going to work best with the point. So, I mean, the specific skill set is you've just got people who can do numbers or articulate right, uh, who have a lot of energy, who know how to have relationships and, and, and to utilize those relationships. You've got all of that. I, I think a lot of it, it's underutilized in our school system, right? And I know I kind of, this gets beyond the, the union question, but it's kind of like the whole discussion of intelligence, where there's this kind of a sordid history where uh, various academics have boiled down intelligence to like one number. And it's kind of like what's happening with your school systems where we're going to boil down success in school to just like these test scores, right? And we all know that's reductionist, right? There are a thousand ways to be intelligent. There's all kinds of different ways that people are talented and where they can bring those talents to the table. And that's what's getting lost in our school system as things become, as as I think you guys often say, become more cookie cutter, right? And more uniform Mm -hmm. and more pre-programmed. So 
When it comes to the union activity, my own kind of method is to be, I know some people may see it as kind of loose. I'm like, let's just get everybody in a room and start talking and, you know, decide on our objectives. And because we're sitting here with a lot of really smart and talented people, we'll come up like with an approach and how to advance what we're trying to get as a result. Just because you're sitting in a group with people who who have a lot of skills and all and, and really some impressive ways of thinking about these things. And sometimes people are expecting me to come in and I'm going to like save the day or something. I got the knowledge, but it's not like that. No. First thing is let's get together and start talking. And if we start talking about what the problems are, and usually my job to say, okay, we're past the complaint part. What are we going to do about it? Um, I find that that teachers are just amazing as far as their ability to think and process and be creative about these things. Oh my gosh, you talking about that. Okay, now reminded me of a couple other things. First, that is why I think we've had such a great relationship with our union and yourself because of your approach, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because we do like to talk that we, we don't want someone to come in and say, here's what you need to do. You know, we like to contribute. And then two, it does remind me that Ted, right? That is why we're here. You planted those seeds in me of always being like, I just like to see you and a couple other people up on a stage just talking about these issues, you know, like people hearing your thinking. And so I was just literally thinking of that as you were saying it, like, (laughs) that's right, Ted, you planted that educators amplified seed. Yeah, well, I appreciate your saying that. And obviously, you know, it goes two ways, right? So that's one of the fun things about the work that I do, where I get my satisfaction from is that I learn every day. And it's not like some one way thing where I'm the expert who comes in and I know exactly what to do. It's a two way process all the time. And, you know, I I happened to be fortunate enough to do a little professional development uh, in January. And there was this whole session all day on how adults learn. And one of the fundamental things, if you're actually teaching adults effectively, is you understand that uh, if you're, let's say you're running the training, you're going to learn as much as your participants, right? You go in respecting them as people who have a lot of experience and a lot to bring to the table. And it's not just going to be, I'm here to tell you how to do it, right? Yeah. And that's what we're trying to fight for in teaching as well. Right. We don't believe kids are, you know, we think kids, there's a lot to learn from them, especially now in this context. Yep. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. And that's what's getting lost. And that's where going forward, I'd like to see our organizations and and you two are really paramount leaders in this. I'd like to see our associations and our whole organization be more geared towards that, right? That Mm -hmm. we need flatter structures where our professionals and our support staff are empowered because they have a lot of knowledge and a lot of skills to bring to the table. And to just, you know, start ending real top-down kind of programmed learning and and program goals, right? You got to get this data, right? That you're going to put on this school report card. And that's like the be all and end all. We've got to get to flatter organizations Mm -hmm. where the people doing the teaching and the people who are doing the learning are empowered. Yeah. Well, I, what blows my mind is like, of course, I'm going to be like, yeah. And because actually none of that works and it creates harm. So why does it take so long to convince people you know i I get it i do understand the change process but where i'm at myself i am like oh my god 
like so much of what we're attached to is is causing problems and stress yeah Mm -hmm. i when you're talking to i think about you know, from just my experience, but maybe we can talk more specifically since it is like funding season. I just think about how when you're talking, Ted, you see firsthand the like creativity of teachers and support staff and people who really understand profession in lots of different ways. But then specifically, I think about like with funding and whether I, you know, go from the North Shore to the South Shore, East, West, wherever, I feel like everyone's having, right, this funding conversation and especially in Wisconsin right now and, or I'm specifically talking about Wisconsin right now and how I feel like no matter where you really look, everyone's got the same solutions or the people in charge or the business managers or the, you know, administrators are all like, well... The biggest expense is staff. So let's mm-hmm. cut her. You referenced before that at one point <clears throat> it was 0.12%. Now they're now they're saying it should be 8%. But how districts mm-hmm. are like, we cannot afford 8% because that would be, you know, they crunch the numbers and that's too much. So I just really think like I would love to be able to share ideas or what maybe other ways that you're seeing that like we could look at funding differently or what are some expenditures that aren't being looked at when we only focus on that staff is the most expensive. Mm, I yeah. like this direction. <laughs> Bring well, it, Ted. Well, I think this is spot on and we've had these conversations, right? So let's mm-hmm. talk about the funding thing. Yes. Is the state underfunding the schools? Yeah, they froze their spending for last year and this year, right? And it's a conspiracy and it's this illegitimate gerrymandered legislature doing not what the people want. Yeah, they're screwing with the schools financially. But then you drill down. Here we are meeting with, you know, the administration at whatever local school district. And they say, we're poor and we can't pay you because we're poor. And I've had administrations incidentally say it's the state's fault when that happened to me just like this year we can't afford it because the state's screwing us over. Um, But this district has operated with a million dollar surplus for like 10 straight years. Okay, Mm. whatever. You know, there's always an excuse. But let's say a district really does have fewer resources. I think at some point you have to start examining what are we spending on, right? And we've been through this together. These districts are spending millions of dollars on what we call curriculum in a box and consultants. These districts are spending millions of dollars on coaches. And again, I don't want to be overly general, but, you know, on people who are not directly working with the kids, but are basically there in many cases to get compliance out of the teachers towards the program coming from the higher level administrators. Again, we're not working directly with the kids. And I do think that there needs to be an evaluation of what the resources are being spent on and what gets the best outcome, right, in terms of really having kids develop into independent thinkers and and good citizens and so on. So as far as spending on teachers, I mean, this is common sense. I mean, who's doing the educating, right? The classroom doesn't do the educating. The smart board doesn't do the educating, right? I mean, obviously, the most important factor in educating kids is the educator, 
right? And the support staff who do crucial roles with a lot of kids who are very much in need. And I think we all agree that the resources should be spent as close to the kids as possible and should be geared towards having the best possible experienced professional educators and support staff to work with the kids. To me, that's common sense and more important than, you know, the Lucy Calkins program or whatever piece of curriculum you're buying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think when Hallie brings that up too, we're not just looking at it as here's the list. There's teachers on it. There's curriculum on it. There's this, like, just take the focus off of us and, and look at that. That actually isn't what we're saying. We're saying, let's look at it all and look at it all differently, mm-hmm. like differently and being like, yes, the people who are closest to the kids are a priority and they do need like materials and ongoing education and, and things like that to support their work. And they need support positions likely to help support their work. But we're just in this. I just feel like we've been in this static place instead of dynamic of Mm -hmm. saying like, Mm -hmm. yes, all of these factors matter. But we are continuing to look at them in the same year 2000 way. And the kids needs are different. Mm -hmm. Our needs are different. Mm -hmm. What a school is responsible for is different it seems like we're still just like open this is how you solve a budget problem look at staff and we've been out here trying to challenge that thinking it feels so out of control when it's just like email your legislator like i'm not Mm -hmm. saying don't email them sure but like if the legislator still says no we're you know like i want to feel more in control or more I guess, be able to use creativity and not feel so desperate. Like, we're screwed because we're not Mm -hmm. looking at things differently. Mm -hmm. I think about, too, all of the above is what I was getting at with that question. But I think about, too, the other day someone said to me, like, maybe it was okay in year 2000 to look at staffing and where to cut. But, like, we're no longer in a thriving system. Like, we Mm -hmm. are, like, broke. And so... Why are we like, we're broke, but we're still going to spend the money on this X curriculum, or we're still going to spend the money on all these different quote unquote specialists. Like we're trying to be in a system or operate in a way like trying to act rich, but we're poor. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, they're just like, we're not thriving anymore. So how come we keep looking at things like we need to keep this system intact, but we don't have the money to pay for it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and we've talked a lot about this. I think we need a new reform movement in schools to really examine like the whole structure. Like I find myself in a lot of meetings, certainly with your local, right, where people are saying, why don't these administrators get it? Why are they doing this, whether it's budget or whatever decision they're making, right? And I find that they're seeing that in every district I work with, right? Mm -hmm. So that suggests to me that there is a structural problem and right now, uh, and I know you've had um, Tim Sleck around and other people who speak brilliantly about this and have for years, um, the big problem is the incentive structure, right? That, that administrators are incentivized to generate certain outcomes, certain numbers, and that's what they're geared towards. And it, it's, it's more and more dehumanizing. And we need a structural reform as far as like how um, decisions are made about like where money is spent and all kinds of things when it comes to school districts. And that's what I would like to see our organizations uh, get better at, right? Top to bottom, 
that we're really talking about that there's there's a fundamental structural problem. Uh, my brother is is was a teacher, right? And he just retired early. He's in Illinois where they have full collective bargaining. So it's not just Wisconsin. There's a deeper problem. The and, and I think it comes down to the incentive structure uh, that the administration has absolute power uh, over a lot of things. That they're incentivized to get certain outcomes, and that's what's causing a lot of problems. And we need a total reexamination of where the resources are going. Um, that's why, for example, we've talked about this. I think there should be a teacher on every school board. And that's a structural change. It's just an understanding. But look, administration does not know everything and should not control everything. Really, there ought to be a, a representative of frontline educators and support staff on boards to be part of those conversations, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that that's what's underlying all the discussion of budget and where the money goes and a lot of other decisions, right? Well, and, and what that reminds me of is just we're a true partnership. Like mm-hmm. kind of how Hallie talks about, I guess, in a flourishing system, I don't even know if I'd call it that, but in a system that can just operate with no problems, sure, just pile on, you know, right, the extras. Yep. And then I think the same goes through on the human side. Like if there was a system where everybody was just like healthy and feeling well and, you know, the decisions at the other levels were only lifting me up and creating, you know, giving me expansive opportunities. Cool. Keep it. But that's not what's happening. And so we're looking at what's more healthy and what is more healthy is a is a partnership. And you really can't have a partnership if someone's lording over you, because then that's the dynamic of the relationship of like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever you say, I, I, you know, I am your underling. We need a real partnership. Which now brings me to thinking about when you brought up, so with attraction and retention, we know there's the big problem out here, frustrating to us because we've been sounding the alarm again for well over a decade, Uh well over a decade, sounding the alarm, saying, and even with our union saying, you guys People are going to be, don't worry about getting members. You got to think about, are people even going to be in this profession? Mm -hmm. Like we on the ground felt that coming. We've been calling it. That gets into the whole how people just discount the voices of women and children, I feel. Mm -hmm. But but now it is. It's visible enough because it's been visible to us. We've been feeling it. But now it's visible enough to the powers that be or whatever out here. So attraction and retention is an issue. What are some things that you feel could really help? So you mentioned this teacher on a school board, like a structural. But again, what are some maybe external and internal things that that you're like, yeah, these things, you know, are worth considering? Yeah, I mean, there are a, a lot of ideas and you, you brought those to the table, including talking with uh, allied state legislators about these things. You know, one piece, and, and our organizations are calling for this, people do need professional pay, right? I mean, living hand to mouth and having to, there are more and more teachers that come across working second jobs. It's ridiculous, right? Nobody should have to work a second job. People should have professional pay. This is high level work. 
right? That requires a lot of ability to make decisions about how to work with kids. And so that that is, I think, crucial and maybe number one. But beyond that, then um, I think we need to think of ways to make the organizations flatter and more collaborative. So teacher on every school board is one idea. Uh, one thing we've talked about is teachers having more control over curriculum, a good deal more control. We're really like if curriculum is going to be approved, say, for a certain grade level or a certain subject matter, that it's an actual committee of educators who makes those decisions about what they're going to do. There are other ideas, ideas we talk about, but generally just anything that will in, in, empower people who are doing the work, I think, is what is needed. And um I mean, just as an example, teachers have to come in and clock in at 7.30. This is almost universal and clock out like at 3.30, whatever the number is. They're being treated like industrial workers. A little thing like saying, look, you're in control of your own time, right? You decide how to use that. I mean, obviously, you got to be there when you have a class full of kids, right? Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you have control over your time because you're a professional and you know you're going to do what it takes to get it done. Just things like that, right, that just treat people as real professionals who uh, are dedicated to a task and can figure out how to get it done and do it very, very well collaborating with their colleagues, um, I think is the direction to go. Just less top-down management, less pre-programming. I mean, and I see so much evidence of the pre-programming. I mean, I, I deal, one of the things I deal with is people who are on plans of improvement. So this is theoretically an educator who's not cutting it. Right. And management says you really need to improve in substantial ways or we're going to have to non-renew your contract and not have you back. And when I dig into the guts of these, right, because, OK, what's going on? What are the real issues? What could be done? So often I see evidence of micromanagement. I mean, pacing guides is just one example. You're regardless of what's going on with the kids, regardless of the relationships, what the teacher thinks, I have to be teaching this thing on this day. That's literally what it's requiring. I just find that weird. How can anybody want to work in such a profession? Just to break this down, like I'm like, okay, so plan of improvement on the surface sounds like, yeah, if a teacher's not doing well, we need some kind of system to help them, right? And we're not yep. saying we're against that. But you're saying that within the plan of improvement, it's literally about you're supposed to be on this lesson on this day and you're not because it's about the pacing guide to the teacher. And then the teacher's coming back saying, well, you know, I've got... 25 plus kids in the classroom, this student needed this or this student needed that or, <clears throat> and so that's why I'm not on that particular. It's not because I'm being negligent. It's not because I'm not trying to not be at that place, but given the needs of the students at the time, I'm not on pace. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one sign of the kind of micromanagement that I'm seeing. Yeah. And then something else that I find really great about you is your experience with, this isn't just like one district, one location. This is, you work with multiple districts and hear this in multiple places or have over the years. Yeah, this is going on everywhere, I think. And I'm, I'm really just amazed at, so there's one I work with where the elementary teachers, so it was elementary wide in this district. And they were having to do 140 minutes a week of sitting with learning coaches, basically, to go through data and then be directed by the learning coaches to work on certain things in their teaching. To such, I mean, you can imagine this was taking up, is taking up still to this day, I believe, most of their ability to have time to themselves to prepare or to work with colleagues. 
all to basically be pre-programmed based on data. Um, it's intolerable. Everybody's saying there's no work-life balance because, you know, because they're taking all your prep time during in, what that's internal to the student day, then you have to work harder into the evening and on the weekends and you don't have time for your family. But even more so, um, people walk out of those meetings with these coaches, which they have to do like twice a week, right, for a total 140 minutes. And they're saying, what did I get out of that time? Really not very much that was really useful based on what I know is going on with my kids and what I think we need to do to help them succeed. So yeah, this is, I think, the, the fundamental problem in schools right now is there's an incentive structure to get certain data uh, by the administrations and the administrations have almost unlimited, unlimited power basically. And they're not in the classrooms themselves doing the work. And, uh, and, they, and they haven't been for a while. I think those are the fundamental problems in schools right now. Well, and I love, Haley, that you, you know, we're drawing out of Ted that your experience is you just work for members. You don't work for just one location. And so your observation is regardless of where the member's at, you are seeing the same issues Educators Amplified audience, please hear that because over the years or even again from as small as being at Easter with family to having this show, you know, you we really get kind of like pigeonholed is like, oh, yeah, that's what Joanna thinks. There goes Hallie again. Right. Yeah. There goes <laughs> Hallie again, making it sound like teachers have it worse than everybody else. <laughs> you know, so there there just is something about like discounting this and even when i've worked in my district or even at the WEAC level and when i served on dpi especially mm -hmm. when i was like okay you guys this is happening everywhere they're like no no, no that's just you no mm -hmm. it's widespread mm -hmm. and on the other hand what is still widespread is there is still even though we got people leaving we got a lot of people staying i know and we still have time uh -huh. to keep this base of professionals intact uh -huh. if we listen. And like you said, and we flatten this out because there's plenty of people still out here and they're doing the work and they love it. And I've probably said it before on this show and I'll just keep saying it. If, if we've been able to do what we've done under poor conditions, imagine what we could do under better conditions and great conditions and ideal conditions. We really have the potential to help heal what is broken in many aspects of student experience and, and our lives together. want to go back to something else again about you know you talked about very external things about like finances legal rights you know prep time working conditions what are some of the internal things that you are seeing widespread that teachers are and educators are struggling with by internal you mean like personal uh, personal issues it's a good question. Um, you know, and I think they're they're obviously linked to the external things, but I think um, people are feeling burnt out, demoralized, unsupported. Again, I wouldn't want to be too 
universal about this, obviously. But look, people are voting with their feet for a reason. I mean, the turnover rates in districts are like I've never seen them before. You know, literally one in five teachers leaving in, in many districts, right, per year. And I think people are just feeling burnt out and demoralized. And you hear more and more stories of people, school day's over, 3.30, I get to go, I'm gone, right? Empty halls at 3.45, right? That is going on. You know, people having second jobs, tons of them. I mean, I'm amazed at how many people have second jobs, especially working all summer, right? No time to recharge. Yeah. So, I mean, and that that's what your show, you and Hallie speak really eloquently to beyond anything I could as far as what's going on with people just in terms of their health, their mental health. It's tragic, frankly. Well, that's why I try to get it out of you because it's indescribable in many ways. You know what I mean? Like I can say it, but it is a very different thing to see it and then a whole nother thing to absorb it and feel it. What is going on around us and you know from our work especially you know we're like when when chronic stress goes unaddressed it literally creates health problems Mm -hmm. it literally accelerates Mm -hmm. and so that is something that i was curious about as you were talking as well as the whole like what you're describing have you seen it accelerate and if so can you give me a timeline I, I think it is accelerating. You've talked about this a good deal on your podcast. Um, COVID obviously kicked things into overdrive. And that for a lot of reasons, and just two that come up for me, one is, is that when the kids finally came back, so to speak, I mean, it had been incredibly stressful, everything being asked of teachers in that 20 to 21 school year, right? But when pe- the kids come back, obviously, their needs had changed, had become greater in many ways. And administrations were like, oh, we're just going back and doing the things the way we did before, right? It's just amazing the disconnect when all the teachers are saying, look, things are different now. We got to change what we're doing. But no, if you're like uh, working in a plant making widgets, this is the attitude of the administrators. You got to crank up those widgets. We need those test scores. We need that data for our school report cards. So I think things really went into hyperdrive when teachers started to see that they're not really supported and that people aren't listening as far as what they're dealing with and letting them come up with real solutions. Do you feel like, has it transcended to, you know, I'm all like, you're a rock star. And because of all the wealth of knowledge that you bring, do you feel like you're even playing more part-time counselor more than ever before? Like, are people calling you crying more? Are people like, I can't do this because my mental health, physical health? You know what you get what I'm saying? Like, has that shifted for you? Definitely. And it's not, you know, we all have our different strengths and weaknesses. And as you know, I'm a, a nice guy, but I'm also maybe not the most sort of uh, touchy-feely type guy. I'm kind of a driver. Let's get to what we can do, right? But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people who I work with are under extreme stress. Now, part of that is just the nature of things. People call me when they're in trouble. Right. And when you're in trouble with your boss, I mean, I tell people this all the time, take care of yourself. You're not going to be able to sleep. You probably should be seeing a therapist. Most people in these situations do. So yeah, I mean, I deal with a lot of people who are really having a hard time dealing with the stress. And you can imagine when the job is already stressful, Mm -hmm. right, then management's you know, seeing that you're not adequate or whatever, that it, that's just horrifying for people. I mean, I, I don't know how they get through it. Frankly, it takes a long time to recover from it. Um, 
And I do think, and again, I think this is where administrations, like they've forgotten, all of them used to be teachers, at least, or, you know, everybody who wasn't, say, just a business manager or whatever. Teaching is sort of by definition stressful. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, you're in front of these kids, not always in front, obviously. Yeah. You're in charge, uh, like, all day. It's almost like having to do a performance for six, seven hours. Every, I mean, it's by its nature kind of stressful, all the responsibility on you. And then to add on to that, other kinds of stressors, I think, makes it almost intolerable and why just a lot of people say, yeah, I'm thinking about changing schools or getting out, mm-hmm. right? Just to, to have that all piled on when it's already by its nature kind of a stressful job. Over spring break, I met with a friend who is no longer was a fabulous teacher and is no longer in the profession. And I was asking her, like, what's it like? You know, like, (laughs) what is one of the biggest differences you notice now? Or what has been one of the toughest adjustments? And she's like, something that I realized that I didn't really realize, she's like, is in my new job, I constantly feel like I'm not working hard enough. And I'm constantly asking my boss, like, is this okay? Is that okay? You know, oh, I got this done. But then I kind of like... She's like the the time thing and the the thought that you should always be on the pressure. She's like, and I, she's like, I think it's really unique. I think other people like just work like mm-hmm. they work. Um, and she's, you know, she's letting that go. But that was something I I see again in, in my colleagues and I can relate to that because it is in. What made me think of it is when you talked about this time, like we are led to believe that the only time we're really working is if we're when we're with the kids that mm-hmm. right. The prep isn't really that necessary or really your work because then, you know, so you can just meet during it and you can just whatever. Yeah. The the pressure to always be on. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you talk with older colleagues, and I know you have, you know, my impression is that you go back 25 years, and the teacher's lounge was a place people had a few minutes to sit and talk and blow yeah. off. And then now you just hear the teacher's lounges are empty. Everybody's too busy. They get too little time. There's yeah. so much data. They're supposed to be producing so much stuff. Yeah, just that, that there's not a room to take a breath. No, right? that's similar to like being a parent. How if you're co-parenting with someone, right, and and you get to talk about like, you know, it's just just value in it, you know, to process, to process, right, and what you're seeing, what I'm seeing, what you think might work, what I think might work, and so, right, that's a really valuable thing. It's not a break where people are just putting their feet up, but it is some time to decompress and talk with other professionals and gather, you know, insights, ideas inspiration yeah and that really doesn't exist so that is the things that we're talking about is much of what i talk about in this overhaul or looking at things differently are simple ways of how do we bring back human connection mm-hmm. you know and how do we bring back connectivity of time together you know without a device in front of us or a task to do I do. Those are the parts I think are so possible and they don't require legal expertise or a financial background. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would just say that I I think we're again, where I think your podcast, you guys are spot on is this does start with like the attitude towards the kids too. 
And sometimes I feel like administration see kids as, as data producing animals, right? They give us the, the numbers that we get to plug in and say we're succeeding in our school report cards. And what you're all about is, look, we are talking about the development of human beings, right? And they're becoming independent, creative, energetic, loving people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that at the get-go, that's where it starts to, right? Like is how do you view the students and what you are doing with them in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Because it kind of, if all you're trying to do is get certain outcomes from the kids, that just flows right up, right? To the teachers and support staff being treated the same way, mm-hmm. basically. And that, I think that creates a lot of the demoralization and yeah, the stress. And help. that's what I mean about internal, external. So yeah, again, I'm well-versed in the finance stuff. I'm well-versed in legal rights. I can do, you know, I, I get it. I think the number one issue is chronic stress, but we don't use that language and we don't talk about that and we don't have that built in. All right, let's move on to the we see you, we hear you, we are you. When we say an educator is amplified, we see you. What are you seeing out here for educators or for yourself? What I'm seeing is that we're in a period of crisis for the education and support staff professions, that uh, there are more and more people seeing that and starting to talk about like we are in this program, like you do in your podcast in general, you're starting to see serious discussion about rethinking things. So I see it as positive. You know, crisis brings about positive change a lot of times. And our organization, if we can really be clear, forceful advocates for reform, I see good things coming. But it's a really difficult time right now. That's what I see. Yeah. So then what are you hearing related to education? I think I'm hearing that there's more and more positive as far as people's perceptions of schools and the need to properly resource them and to support the people working directly with our kids. I do think, obviously, in the partisan free things change that overwhelmingly the public actually supports um, teachers and support staff being respected and being compensated properly. And so what I'm hearing, in, in, and I even see some administrations understanding this, is that the environment's getting better as far as, as moving back to a better situation. And then we are you. What do you feel like you really are in it or shoulder to shoulder with people right now? I feel like what we're talking about as far as educators being organized is part of a broader issue in, in American society, actually, where, as you know, unions are at among their lowest points ever as far as membership This has been part of a a conspiracy by very wealthy and very powerful people carried out over a long period of time to make this happen. And I feel like uh, we are shoulder to shoulder in saying that everybody should be respected and everybody should be treated with humanity and that we need to be organized in order to make that happen. That I feel like there's very positive trends and very hopeful for the younger generation, which seems to understand this Mm -hmm. better than than our generation does. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You would think with all the stressors they have to deal with that they would be bitter, but I find Mm -hmm. them and observe that they're so loving Mm -hmm. and they're so willing to connect and they respect people who are helping. Mm -hmm. 
Hallie, I don't know if, you know, I was thinking uh, when our kids were talking to the public health nurses a couple weeks ago and at the end of it, many of them just shared with, you know, so my students to the public health nurses were saying, thank you. Thank you for helping people. It was just genuine, you know, like, and whatever, we have watched some documentaries about trauma and this and that. And my kids are just captivated by people who are helpers, Mm -hmm. right? We have the music therapist coming in now Mm -hmm. and they're just so attracted to people who are helping. And I just think it's intuitive, but I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. I think people are naturally empathetic and I'm impressed that the younger generation uh, has a lot of compassion and a lot of tolerance. I always say they need no convincing. In fact, they need to be heard. Yeah. They need to be leading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ted. You know, I always value when you speak, you're just a wealth of knowledge. And obviously, we just always appreciate your support. It feels good to feel heard. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, too, so if somebody wants to join their union... Right. We're, we're always saying on this podcast, like, go to weact.org backslash join now. Mm-hmm. I just really quick wanted to ask you before you go, can somebody join WEAC if they don't have a local association? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and we have many uh, educators and support staff who are members where there isn't a functioning local association. Mm-hmm. People can be members and they can be part of our organization in every way. And they can get every kind of support, right, that I can provide, yeah. whether there's a functioning local association or not. Do they go to weact.org backslash join yeah. now? Yeah. Okay. And if um, and if, if that doesn't work, because sometimes the system can be glitchy, right. then you just need to reach out to us, okay. right? And we can, yeah, we can yeah. do There's hope to grow there. All right. So yeah. educators everywhere, unite for your union. <laughs> call Ted (laughs) Uh, thank you so much Ted yeah Yeah. well thank you and thank you for all you do I mean I really think your podcast is where we need to be going to have these discussions really is just spot on in so many ways really I'm happy you're doing this and you do it so well yeah we're trying well thank you thank you so much Ted um ooh like I said in the intro, I love listening to TED Talk. Uh, oh, <laughs> I've never put that together. It's a TED Talk. Anyways, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Let us know what you thought. Connect with us either on Instagram or Facebook at Educators Amplified. You can always email us at educatorsamplified at gmail.com. Again, if you want to sign up to be part of your union, whether you have a local union or not, obviously you heard from Ted himself that you can go to weact.org backslash join now. And please, a reminder, do not forget to reach out to us with your response to the question. If you could wave a magic wand and make your biggest challenge with an education disappear, go away, it no longer exists, what would it be? Ooh, I cannot wait to hear from all of you. Um... But yeah, send it through the comments on social media, DM us, email us. However, we want to know, you've got a magic wand, what disappears in education. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye.
Educators Amplified, the podcast, is recorded at Silver City Studios in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Theme music composed by Josh Evert with original music by DJ Dripsweat. Thank you to our sponsor, the National Education Association. Educators Amplified.